Sunday we see Hawthorne taking on the Eagles at the MCG. And let's go back to 1991. Jim Steins has just won the Brownlow Medal, an Irishman. So that was a magnificent achievement. The All-Australian team came out that year. Not one Hawthorne player. It's because they were all good. It was in it. It's because they were all good. And West Coast and Hawthorne played off in a grand final at Waverley Waverley Park. Because the MCG was under development for the 1992 Cricket World Cup and the Great Southern Stand, which is now the Shane Warne Stand, was being built. Well, there we go. That's a bit of history back in 1991. And a Hawthorne champion who made it premiership number five that day joins us on the phone, and that's Gary Ayres. G'day, Ayersie. Uh, g'day, boys. How are we? Oh, nice you're up and about, boys. Oh, gee, thank you so much for joining us. Love hearing your voice, particularly on this show, buddy. Uh, we're big fans. Um, <laughs> now, t- take us down memory lane, mate. 1991. Um, very different grand final, was it? I mean, you played in, obviously, four other premierships uh, beforehand. Uh, was this one any different? Um, no, you don't get sick of winning, I can tell you that, boys. So, <laughs> very, very happy to be on the winning side in a game that clearly, as a team or a club, we knew that we would be playing out at Waverley because of the stuff that was going on at the MCG, as you mentioned in your opener. So, that was probably becoming our home ground as well because we were playing less games out at Princess Park. So I think most of the boys really enjoyed playing there, but it probably didn't start that year off all that well because I'm pretty sure from memory we won the night grand final and then the next week we got absolutely belted by the Adelaide Crows in their first ever game. and. We were sort of winning one, losing, and I think it got to about probably halfway through the year and West Coast Eagles were flying and it sort of took us, I guess, a little bit of a readjustment of our training program and a couple of other things and then the emergence of some young players and I think we ended up winning 13 out of the next 14 games to actually take the flag. So it all came together beautifully for a side that was old in in some situations and quite, I guess, young and enthusiastic in, in other situations. So all in all, it was a great win. I loved playing in grand finals, loved playing with the boys that I was playing with. And yeah, that was uh, a great day to run out onto the ground. And we didn't see the dulcet tones of An- Angry Anderson and the Batmobile. <laughs> Uh, but we did see it a little bit later last year. I had the pleasure of driving that uh, mean machine there out of Waverley. So that was an experience, guys. But Still in working order? It was really pleasing that we won because clearly that was the last one that Hawthorne played in and then uh, had won until 2008. Yeah, it was here. Um, you said during that year you, you sort of you were struggling and then... Uh, did some changes through your training. Can you tell us sort of what you changed and how how you changed it? Yeah, we actually felt that we'd been, I guess from an experience point of view, understanding what we needed to do. We'd always done pre-seasons that were pretty tough. Back in those days, you actually trained Monday through Friday, so you're doing five days a week during the summertime, and we'd been playing lots of finals, and then there were exhibition games, so we actually probably felt we were in pretty reasonable fitness condition, but it was Alan Joyce's second year after Alan Jeans had left the club in 1990, and 
he actually trained us pretty hard. So some of us actually approached a couple of key people, our fitness uh, people and Alan, and he was good enough to listen. And we'd sort of been all right in first half, but then actually battled in the second half. We just fell right away. So to his credit, he freshened us up, and I reckon that really, really helped us in the latter part of the year because, as I said, I think we ended up winning 13 of the last 14 games. But there was also the emergence of guys like Ben Allen, who I'm pretty sure went on and won the, the best and fairest. Darren Jarman came across from South Australia. There was obviously guys like Anthony Condon, uh, Andy Collins, Dean Anderson, Stevie Lawrence took over in the ruck because Greg Deere did his ACL in the night grand final. And there were these guys that I think were really catalysts of where we end up going and I guess none more so than Paul Deere who ended up winning the, the Norm Smith medalist and, uh, on the day and he was just amazing he's probably the, the difference in the end and got us over the line with just some powerhouse performances when it mattered the most yeah, we'll, we'll just touch on Paul, you know, 26 disposals out there and a couple of goals. Um, and just, yeah, your, your memories of Paul as a person? A terrific guy, always had a great smile on his face, to be honest, was. He just used to accept things as they were. He probably found it pretty hard to try and break into the side, as did a lot of guys who were probably fringe players, I guess, to a lesser degree. And when you got a forward line revolving around... Jason Dunstall, Dermot Brereton, Peter Curran was probably another one who was that sort of third tall. Paul Abbott was in and around there at different stages, playing a little bit back, but also two forward. And then you had Paul Hudson, who in that premiership year in 91, I think he might have kicked 60 goals, give or take. Uh, there are other guys that played roles, whether it was Dean Anderson, Johnny Platten, uh, guys like um, Tucky might spend a little bit of time down there and so on and so forth. So he probably got his act together in 1990 and then of course that flowed through into 1991 and he wasn't a, a big ruckman. His brother Greg used to do most of the ruck work in those days and Paul was really good at boundary throw-ins and around the ground because he could use his bulk and his strength and he was just a real lovable young bloke. He was a bit younger, about probably six years younger than me, I think, and we just loved what he brought to the table and he was just a terrific lad, good country boy, always good to be around, always good for a laugh, enjoyed himself socially and just had a real infectious personality so he's going to be sadly missed. It's only, what, 55 years young and we all knew there was going to be some time because of the nature of the disease that he had but you really got to feel for his family and yeah, we'll miss him enormously and we've got a bit of a get together on Sunday because he's left the legacy of uh, having a charitable organisation called Pancare and he got on the front foot with that too and was you know, on TV promoting it and doing other bits and pieces and that was Paul, he never let anything get him down he just rolled his sleeves up and got on with doing the job oh, That's great, well said, thanks for um, answering that too um, Also, we mentioned Darren Jarman we had a couple of uh, Adelaide, ex-Adelaide players uh, recent, over recent shows and all mentioned that he's probably the best that they've seen uh, What did you think when he came across? 
extremely talented and certainly happy we had him for a few years, that's for sure. And he, he just was amazing with ball in hand and his ability, his peripheral. It didn't really matter whether he got caught on his left leg or his right leg. He was just a beautiful deliverer of the ball. And certainly the likes of Brereton and, and Dunstall playing forward would be on the lead. And Darren just had this wonderful ability with his kick to put just the right weight on the kick and Dunstall could come out full speed and just take it and the defender had really no chance and he probably got himself into a real area of fitness and you had to be a lot fitter than probably what you were when you came across from South Australia and he was enormous in the midfield and I only played what 91, 92, 93 so three years with him and of course I'm pretty sure he won a best and fairest at Hawthorne and then of course we know what he did when he went back to the Adelaide Crows and how he single-handedly to a degree end up turning the fortunes of the Crows in their favour and end up playing in a couple of premierships here. He probably wouldn't have been overly happy with his 91 grand final game, but he was pretty keen on, on righting the wrongs if there was another opportunity. And clearly being a South Australian boy, that was probably always on the cards. But no, nah, he left a wonderful legacy and he was just a really good fella, yeah. a good family. And I had the pleasure of also working with him as a coach at uh, the Adelaide Crows and also too he joined the coaching panel there when he retired. So, yeah, good, good fella, Darren. Good fella, you know, good, great footballer. Uh, now, obviously, Norm Smith went to Paul and, you know, fantastic game. But just, just looking at the stats, because I haven't watched this game in, in its entirety, uh, Gary, but um, Dermy, uh, 20 touches, four goals, five. Um, gee, that's, uh, that's a lot for a guy who doesn't win a Norm Smith. <laughs> Does he yeah. even mention it? <laughs> Uh, no, he hasn't, Derby. So it's, he's a very humble man uh, underneath all what we see when we see Dermy and his, uh, I guess, his media guys, for want of a better term. So uh, one of the greatest big game players that I've ever seen. And, of course, I had the wonderful, um, I guess, uh, front row seat of being able to watch him do his stuff. And he certainly took no prisoners, uh, Derm, that's for sure. But it was uh, interesting, I think, on the board before we ran out that day, uh, Alan George put up that if uh, Dermot and Jason could kick 10 between them, well, that would go a fair way to us winning the flag. And I'm pretty sure they got uh, 10 goals between them. And, yes. Uh, in that last quarter when we really had the momentum and were really making the game ours, yeah, they were just both enormous. And no doubt they worked extremely well together. And we're just a potent centre-half forward, full forward duo and yeah I just love playing with them and we were just in awe at times of what they were able to do when they could change the course of games and what they were then able to leave as a legacy at the Hawthorne Footy Club so yeah just obviously champion players but again I didn't have to vote on that day so uh, <laughs> it's probably a difficult thing when, when you go through but I think Paul did have the biggest influence he probably turned the screws back our way a little bit in that first quarter and that helped the momentum change back our way because West Coast jumped out of the blocks and slammed on four or five goals I think from memory pretty quickly so uh, I think Paul was the catalyst and in the second and third quarter he, no one could match up on him and he just gave us the ascendancy and we always had our nose in front until we broke away in that last quarter. 
Certainly did. If you speak of that last quarter, it's actually quite amazing. There was eight goals to one. So <laughs> pretty special last quarter. Uh, now, Ezzy, uh, big, huge news this week in the AFL. Uh, David Noble and North Melbourne have parted ways. Um, first of all, what, what was your read on it? And obviously, experienced football person as you are, um, what, how did you make of it? And do, do you feel, I mean... How do, you, how do you make of it after 38 games in charge and then losing your job? I think it was going to be inevitable, boys, that that was going to be the case when, again, we're not close to the action. So it's all speculative what we're uh, talking about and it's someone's opinion without being involved in a 24-7 environment. But I don't think there was any other option that was going to occur and no one wants to be involved in something where you're losing first and foremost but also to the magnitude of the and the size of the losses so 38 games isn't very long at all clearly and there would be coaches over the years that have probably had pretty rough starts but certainly not as rough as that from a win-loss ratio or percentage ratio so it's amazing that as you know it gets driven and the noise gets louder and louder and louder and the only thing that generally stops that noise is if yeah, someone is removed or the organisation North Melbourne gets on a roll and starts winning a few games so clearly there's a, a pretty fair coach who's uh, out there waiting in the wings for whatever roles be going to come available mm. um, so no doubt they would be silly if they didn't speak to Alistair Clarkson whether that uh, means he's going to get the job or not we don't know but unfortunately whether you look at whether you like it or not our game is about uh, how many W's you have in one column and how many L's you have in the other so I reckon just watch this space now and see what happens over the next you know six or seven weeks I guess yeah uh, Gary is his name will that pop up <laughs> I wouldn't have think so, boys. I'm happy doing what I'm doing at Montrose. And, yeah, there's a lot better people than a uh, grey-haired old 61-year-old bloke like me. Um, Gary, you said speculation and, and we're not involved in the clubs and things like that, but the, the further speculation that come out was that he may have lost the players a long time ago. Do you think losing the players amounts to how they played and the size of the loss and do you think that that can be a reason or an excuse? Oh, look, it's a, it's a real tough one. You'd, you'd like to think that you're not running down the, the so-called race or walking out onto the ground thinking, oh, geez, I've had a bit of a fallout with the coach and then mm. that is clouding your ability to play well or play somewhere near your best. And really, I think all the good coaches are judged on the amount of consistency he can get his players to perform at every week. And if you're getting basically all your list or pretty much close to your list on that day to be playing somewhere near the best, you're going to win a lot of footy. So Chris Scott's a perfect example of that. Alistair Clarkson, a perfect example of that. John Longmire, even... Uh, You've now got Justin Longmuir over there at Freo, you know, doing what he's doing, Simon Goodwin with Melbourne over the last probably 18 months. So uh, it's a real it's a real tough one. Uh, players are different to what it was when I was coaching in the, in the AFL uh, back in the day. And I think the three things that I really feel uh, a coach needs to have in his kit bag or have as very, very major philosophies is the communication 
the relationship building that you must do with your players and your staff. And then the other thing is the positivity on all fronts. And there is obviously situations where football becomes emotional and you may say something that you regret because then what happens is you've got to then repair that bridge that you burnt and sometimes it's very, very difficult to do that. And there's a lot of emotion in the game that we watch and play. But I think those three things are really non-negotiables from a coach's point of view. So whether that's true or not, we don't really know. I know it's been put in the paper that that may have been the case. But, you know, again, unless you're there, you don't really know. And how's Montrose going at the moment? And how are you finding uh, playing the Montrose ground on, on the angle there? Are you you're sort of <laughs> leaning a bit more on, to one side or...? Yeah, yeah. I always tend to find myself uh, down that end. Maybe it's just the way the ground rolls. So it's uh, uh, if we want to do a bit of extra work, we just get the boys to run uphill, don't we? So it's uh, no. Look, it's it's a terrific club. They've got wonderful buy-in from the community, and we want to make the community proud that they come and watch us. Clearly, they want to support us, and we want them to support us. And we're on a little bit of a, a growth pattern because. We've certainly got to try and find out where our foundations can be laid this year for future success. And look where they're about. We've uh, battled a bit of inconsistency. We've played 42 players this year over 13 games, and we've also debuted 13 players. So at times we've had 10, 11, about 22 that are basically playing around 50 or 60 games in total. So... We've had a 19-year-old Ruckman, a 17-year-old Ruckman. We debuted another 17-year-old last Saturday against Upper Fertry Gully. So our, our processes are pretty important in getting those right and then the results will come. So at the minute, we're very much driven about making sure we're understanding what works. And clearly, we do patches on that. But of course, we've got to do it for a lot longer. But you know, I don't think there's been too many quarters over the year where I thought we'd been completely outplayed. It might have been maybe three or four out of 13 games, and we've certainly been in, in most games, so that's a positive. So we've got Beaconsfield this week at, uh, at home, so, yeah, it's another day that we get an opportunity to get our processes right, boys. Oh, very good. Just you want to just bounce back into the AFL, mate. Uh, with, with your experience, Gary, just tell us... Um, how long did it take for you to recover from um, sort of being asked to leave Adelaide? Um, sort of, just, I mean, with it has been a... Been been a um, to Yarra Valley FM, 99.1. Sorry. Everyone's joining in the conversation. <laughs> Everyone. Yeah. Goodness me. Uh, but, yeah, <laughs> just just your, just the recovery bit um, for yourself personally. Um, obviously, what you'd know what David Noble's going through right now. Um, how long did it take for you to move on from that and just let it sort of go um, a little bit um, and every, every, everything yeah. like that. Was it a while? Yeah, it took a while. Yeah. It took a while because it is played out in uh, the media as we've seen and of course it's just relentless scrutiny on you and there's always fallout to it as well because people I think sometimes forget about your family and it was, 
was even interesting, like I was living in Adelaide and my mother was living up in Latrobe Valley and of course I tried to turn myself off a little bit of what was going on and anyway she would ring me probably every second day and she'd say, oh, did you see what they said about you today? And I said, no, nah, Mum, I'm trying not to read the, the news and of course then she'd actually then proceed to tell me what was <laughs> going on. So <laughs> uh, you've got to love your mum, of course. So, and uh, so I finished up about middle of that year and I would say for me personally it took a, a good 12 months I actually then had a bit of a stint in the media and I thought that was a really good I guess secondary option for me once I wasn't coaching but after that 12 months of watching a lot of footy, seeing a lot of footy, commenting on a lot of footy, I really then got that drive back and it was really when I went and had a couple of years of working with Kevin Sheedy at Essendon in 2006 and seven that that really ignited my passion to certainly get back into coaching and I was really missing it obviously and then of course it really got me into a position working with Kevin to then go on and take the Port Melbourne job and stay there for 14 years and work very closely with a lot of wonderful players and staff and we had the successes in a somewhat uneven competition as you guys would know so and I just realised then that I wanted to stay in coaching I always felt I could be a career coach anyway and uh, I'm really glad that I've got another opportunity uh, one last from me. Uh, you mentioned Essendon just there. For North, we were talking earlier. I I would like James Hurd. Is that a just give me a yes or no? To coach North Melbourne? Yeah. The good thing about footy, and I won't say yes or no, but mm. I'll back this up by saying the good thing about footy is it's very forgiving, and it's really something that people would have to do their due diligence and then James would have to understand which he does I'm sure about what coaching is I know he's up there helping uh, his buddy Mark McVeigh so I would think though uh, Alistair Clarkson would be the number one on anyone's hit parade at the minute and maybe Ross Lyon to a lesser degree so I think those two boys would be in front of James uh, to get a gig Really? Well, look, oh, that's fantastic. And I, you know, I wish you put your hat in the ring because I reckon you'd get it as well, Gary. But uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll leave it there, no. mate. But uh, thank you for joining us uh, this evening, buddy. Really appreciate it. And uh, good luck to Montrose. Yeah, thanks, Jack. Thanks, Wise. You can be my PR machine. <laughs> thanks, well, Gary. <laughs> well, I'm more than happy to take that role on. Uh, there we go. Gary is five-time premiership player with the Hawks. Oh, I have to ask him how his uh, red wine collection is. Oh, next time. We'll get him on again. We'll get him on again. He's our September specialist. I'm sure year. the boys I'm, down at Montrose. Oh, gee whiz. I tell you what, I'm a massive fan of... Um, of Gary Ayres, and, and it's only because of uh, what he said last time he was on our show, which was this. Yeah, good on you, Jack. Really appreciate the chat, mate. Stay well, and you're the best one to have on the show anyway. <laughs> mate, don't the other boys. <laughs> <laughs> you're too good to me, mate. Thanks very much.